This is Observations Q&A Podcast for Friday, the 19th of March, 2021. You may have noticed the music. It never hurts to go back to the classics. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Bruce McQueen. And, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I'm getting the sense as I, as the weeks pass and I see what's coming out of Washington, D.C., I see what's going on. Uh, at the border right now, which, by the way, we are not to call a crisis, and which is, by the mm-hmm. way, Donald Trump's fault anyway. Um, I, I I just get a sense of things falling apart. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's just kind of slowly collapsing in on itself, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, watching what has happened. Well, two things have happened this week diplomatically. Um, Joe Biden tried to talk tough with uh, Vladimir Putin, and he just said, oh, yeah, well, I'll have a public debate with you anytime, any place. Hell, do it at a time that's convenient for America. I don't even care what time you do it. And then China um, basically berating uh, the Biden diplomatic team in Alaska, saying, you know, the U.S. isn't no longer negotiates from a position of strength. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the United States military, uh, we're far more concerned with going after a a civilian cable news host and uh, rooting out extremism uh, in the ranks than we are about fighting China. Yeah, extremism on the right. Be clear about that. It's extremism on the right. You know, whiteness and stuff. The the Army spokesman, well, the DOD spokesman, who was talking about it today, uh, was talking about how, well, you know, we're seeing a lot of people who are comparing what happened at the Capitol to the uh, other uh, violence that happened in the Black Lives Matter protests when some extremists went a little too far. And and they're conflating those two because of some of the messaging they've heard. And it's very concerning. We have to have difficult conversations. Yeah. And meanwhile, the investigation into the riot on January 6th continues to go on and they find fewer and fewer and fewer of those uh, that were involved uh, were actually, quote, right wing extremists, end quote. Yeah. So, So, you know, this is we are not and I'm not meaning to turn this into a complete foreign policy um, podcast, but we. In terms of, I mean, forget about domestic politics. I mean, that's bad enough. But the international situation, as far as I can tell, is showing that our primary opponents globally have no fear whatsoever of the current administration. No, that's exactly right. When you project weakness, this is what you this is what you can expect. Vladimir Putin knows he can make a fool out of Joe Biden. He knows that. And that's why he has no... Uh, concern whatsoever in making this challenge. Come on, big boy, you know, step up, step up. You and Corn Pop, we don't care. You know, get up there. Let's talk about this right there on TV where everybody can see it. He knows that's never going to happen. I mean, that's, we both know he knows that. And so that's why he made, that's why he made the challenge because he knew they'd have to back down, which of course they did. And then China shows up in Alaska in in, in a meeting that was only supposed to last minutes uh, lasted over an hour where with China basically blasting uh, the U.S. and the Biden administration 
And uh, I mean, as as observers said, they were just arrogant and and mean about it. So that shows no respect. You know, the, the, this <laughs> we all know how diplomatic meetings are supposed to go. This was not. It, this was nothing like what you would expect a diplomatic meeting to go uh, by, and and uh, the uh, the Biden administration folks, the State Department folks, were shocked. Frankly, uh, I mean, this was arrogance on parade. And, and, they, and by the way, that know, is they a, didn't pull a punch. And that is a message, by the way, to China's domestic uh, population as much as it is a message to the Biden administration. Yeah, it is. You know, if we'll talk this way to the U.S., Hong Kong. What do you think we're going to do to you? Yeah, exactly. So, plus it caters to the um, the nationalist sentiment that the CCP has been uh, largely responsible for promulgating in China. Yeah. Yep. So you're looking at you're definitely looking at um, a big change foreign policy wise because. I don't, frankly, don't think Trump would have, well, we know Trump would have fired back big time in this, you know, so what what we had here was post-Trump China, uh, basically arrogantly uh, lecturing the United States, knowing they weren't going to do anything about it. And it plays well in China, too. Yep. And so, you know, uh, I, I just wonder how far we're just going to let all this go well yeah and it's you know we're not going to the biden administration is not going to say anything or do anything um it it's it's just going to get worse and worse um this reminds me right now this reminds me of the end of the the obama administration uh, they had absolutely no use for obama uh, and they made it clear they had no use for obama uh, Biden's just an extension of the Obama uh, administration, and they're renewing the fact that they have no use for them. Yep. And by the way, it, it may not be us who pays for it, at least not in the short term. But um, well, if I lived in Taiwan, I'd certainly be nervous. Yeah, I'd be getting me some dual citizenship or something. Yeah. Canada, Canada's looking better and better all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I think you know. I I spent two years on Taiwan early, early, early uh, in the in the fifties uh, when they had just come over. My dad was an advisor to one of the Chinese divisions there, and w- when I lived on Taiwan, it was there was nothing there. I mean, nothing of, of inner modernity. It was a you know we lived out near rice paddies and in the housing was you know substandard i'll just put it that way and now i mean that place is an incredible uh capitalistic success story it's it's as modern and as uh, as rich as any western country you'd care to name that's correct and uh, it, uh, although they may actually get in fistfights on the floor of their legislature, they do have a democracy. Uh, and so it, you know, it looks like with all this posturing and 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 a lot of the moves they made to, to fortify the Spratland Islands and, and and some of those that they built out there, that they're setting themselves up to take Taiwan into the greater China, uh, and I would assume sometime in the next four years. 
Yeah, because you want to, I mean, you strike while the iron is hot. I, I mean, the the problem the Chinese have is the ability to project power even that far off of their coast. They're they're building a blue water navy, but they don't really have one yet. And Yeah, and they don't have that experience. Uh, and, I mean, let's face it, they haven't uh, really faced a uh, uh, peer, uh, peer-to-peer uh, battle since Korea. So their army, I mean, you say what you want about size and the weapons they have and all that stuff. But, folks, if you haven't gone out there and done it, uh, you're, you're probably going to learn the hard way. Yeah, there, there are that, lessons that have to be learned, and they're not easy lessons, and the price is generally pretty steep. Yeah. So, you know, there, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But if you look at Taiwan, you know, and what they would have to do to take it, uh, it's a difficult job. But they're in a very good position versus us who have, you know, these ex- extraordinarily stretched supply lines and, and uh, ha- basically have to do most of what we would have to do from the sea. And, it, you know, it'd be a very difficult task to help uh, the Taiwanese defend themselves. Yeah, because so, the Chinese have the advantage of interior lines of supply and everything right. is Whereas, already there. That's right. Whereas we, we, we would have to do it uh, basically island by island. You know, we, we'd have to set up the supply depots out there. They would have, we would have to have our uh, harbors, that, safe harbors where we could come in and refuel, refit and all that good stuff. And, you know, in this day and time, there are very few safe harbors. Yeah. And the amount of time it would take to build that, you know, I, I, I think back to the logistics buildup a, for the Iraqi operation, which mm-hmm. took, you know, months with, you know, large land masses and friendly countries allowing us to do it. Uh, the yep. Gulf War before that, which, you know, was a six-month buildup. Um, yep. If China attacks, I, I'm not entirely sure that we're going to have that amount of time well, to be and, messing and, around and, and getting our supply lines set up. We certainly, w- we certainly would have some measure of time because it would take take them setting up to do that would be obvious and especially with with our abilities now to kind of take a look at what's going on down there uh we would know at the you know when they were uh, building up to do that and and so we would have to immediately start building up on our side well yeah that's not gonna you know that's just not gonna happen that's right who you convince and how, how do they convince congress and you know blah 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 we know how that works so yeah, it's it's just, and then on the domestic side, um, boy, the stuff that's coming out of Congress is just wild. Uh, wow, is that some garbage or what? Scary garbage, but garbage. Yeah. Oh, and 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 uh, <laughs> it was interesting. About a third of the Democratic caucus wants to expel Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. And interestingly, um, Nancy Pelosi came out and said that is not a leadership priority. Yeah, I, I, I think Nancy Pelosi is finally sinking in that she needs to pick her battles because, uh, you know, they're in trouble. Uh, I, I think their legis- uh, their legislative agenda is in trouble, and picking these kind of fights uh, doesn't help that along, especially if you're trying to, you know, convince some Republicans to go along with you, and then you go in there and try and throw one of their folks out. Yeah. It's not going to it's not going to work. And uh, then there's Nancy. What is it? Iowa, where she, she's trying to steal a seat. 
Yeah, and the Democrats are perfectly happy to go along with that and yeah. um, declare her the winner. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, she's, um, I think she's finally decided we're at the end here, at the limit here. This is, this. we're not going that, you know, beyond this. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I was actually, I was actually surprised to see that she uh, came out and said that. Yeah, well, it kind of surprised me too, because you think if you're going to expel somebody, I mean, whatever, you know, anybody may think of her personally, the fact is she's pretty low hanging fruit if you're looking for somebody to make a Well, that's true. But if you have a five or six uh, uh, vote majority and you're worried about congressional elections in two years, uh, you know, the squad would be uh, the uh, vengeance target if the Republicans ever took over. Yeah, that's true. And uh, besides, she already expended enough political capital keeping Eric Swalwell on the Intelligence Committee. (laughs) Yikes. Nothing like having a guy who is the target of a Chinese honey trap on the Intelligence Committee. There's a fellow you can trust with top secret information. The successful target of a Chinese honey trap. Oh, yes. Yes, the successful (laughs) target. He was he he was caught out. Yes, he was. But that doesn't matter. He's a Democrat. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Yep, it really is. Which, uh, well, you know, it, it's it's amazing the ability of the press to run cover for these things. Um, oh God, yeah. Um, I mean, we could talk about. You know, Joe Biden falling up the stairs to Air Force One today and the press, you know, being remarkably incurious in a way that they weren't when Donald Trump was, you know, careful walking down a a ramp, what he called a slippery ramp at West Point. But I think even more important than that is the way the press is handling things at the border. Yes. Uh, DHS secretary is going down there and, um, by the way, made it very clear we're not going to have a press availability or anything like that. There won't be any media uh, opportunities and the media apparently just fine with that. And then the uh, the Biden people coming out and saying, well, you know, yeah, there's a problem at the border now. And it really is all Trump's fault. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, Trump said the border's now open and they believed them and they're just coming across. Well, you know, not one not wanting to carry the water for Donald Trump, but the reason that Donald Trump said Biden is opening the border is because, well, Biden is opening the border. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he the smoking gun has been produced where he said, yeah, yeah, let him in. Come on in. Yeah, Biden so, was Biden was saying, you know, we need to let these people in. Oh, and by the way, we need to cover their health care, too. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's hard to, to make that Donald Trump's fault. I mean, this is Biden's policy. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is uh, quietly pressing Mexico to curb migrants coming to the U.S. Mexican officials have said a move echoing Trump era policy. And Dan Crenshaw, that was a New York Times tweet. Dan Crenshaw says it's as if we had a solution to this already. And then some guy came in and totally screwed it up. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, and that's it. That's you, the story of that show. You know, it, it's funny. It, it's all Donald Trump's fault, either because of his rhetoric or whatever. And these people are just pouring across the border now. And Donald Trump left us with a broken system. Well, not exactly. Donald Trump left you with a system where people weren't pouring across the border. That's what yeah. he left you with. Now they're pouring across the border. Um, it's your policy your now. H- yeah. Your HHS you, secretary says, oh, yeah, if you send children to the border, we'll take care of them. Exactly. Gee, um, gee okay. that's not an invitation, is it? Yeah, but, but somehow it's Donald Trump's fault for saying, see, Biden is opening the borders and people are yeah. believing him. Well, people are believing them because it's what's actually happening. I mean, you know, it's not that these people don't see. Uh, and, and it's not like in Mexico. No one has heard of thousands of people coming across the border. Well, as you recall, the caravan started before the election. So, you know, in anticipation of Biden winning. So, yeah, it wasn't Donald Trump doing anything. And, of course, they showed up at the border with Biden. Let us in. Let it, Yeah, sure, T-shirts, John. pre-printed so. T-shirts saying Biden <laughs> let us it's, in. It's, it's hard to blame that on Donald Trump. Yeah. All Donald yeah. Trump's fault. And, and the press lets him get away with it. And, well, yeah, and echoes those claims relatively, you know, uncritically. Yeah, it's uh, it's just like the kids in cages shit. You know, we, we're not hearing anything about it. Uh, it. There's no crisis. There aren't kids in cages. Oh, the other part, you, you said there was no press availability. They also said that they uh, they're, they're uh, not going to approve any trips by Congress, uh, congressional uh, or Congress people uh, down there. I'm not sure how they stop them, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that too. So this is this is we're in the middle of a total cover up of, of this mess that's been made down on the border. Uh, I mean, the most opaque uh, administration system uh, or administration in history is, is getting even more opaque. Uh, this is this is amazing. And yet the uh, the media goes, yeah, OK. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I mean, after all, it's old Joe. He must have a good reason for doing all this. Stuff. Oh, of course he does. Well, this is this is uh, the question I have is at what point do the American people just say, okay, this is enough? I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I think I think you and I have talked about this before, and it's going to unfortunately going to have to get a lot worse than it is now uh, before the American people. Now, I, I you know, not. I see where I do see it, some of it. Uh, a little of it, let's put it that way, is is in these COVID lockdowns. Uh, I think, frankly, uh, that's a thing of the past. Um, and, and I think even the, the most tyrannical of the governors is finally figuring that out. I don't know. Gavin Newsom said, you know, even if this pandemic is over, we're not going to go back to normal. That's why they have two and a half million signatures for his recall. <laughs> Um, yeah by the way good luck in validating um let's see last i checked it last week it was it would have to have been 25 percent i think now you would have to you'd have to invalidate like 35 percent of all the signatures yeah it's huge that's a a a big ask yep they have a huge cushion so uh Yeah, I think I think Gavin may be finding a new job. Well, but yeah, no, they, no, wait they, a second. The, uh, no, no, no. There'll be an election, but Gavin Newsom will run in that election to keep his job. And well, that's not what they did well, with Gray Davis. Um, 
Yeah, they did. Gray Davis was on the ballot on the on the the. Yeah, but recall they recalled him. him. Yeah, well, once they recall him, he's out. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, he and he then they and the then recall. they have an election. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, he may, he may win the recall. Yeah, that's well, likely. Well, well, I mean, see. yeah, it's possible, but I I don't I don't think it's particularly likely. There was an interesting exchange, speaking of Congress, between uh, Rand Paul, who, by the way, in case you don't know, is in fact a doctor, and uh, Anthony Fauci. And boy, Rand Paul was just going after Anthony Fauci. Um, at one point saying... It's about time somebody did. Yeah, at one point saying, Dr. Fauci, you've been uh, vaccinated, have you not? Yes. Well, then you would be immune to the virus if you've been vaccinated, Correct. Well, yes. Then you're wearing a mask is nothing more than theater. Well, no, yeah. no, it's a, no, no, it is. It is. I, th- I think yeah. most people don't realize there, cause there's a lot of criticism for Rand Paul for going after Dr. Fauci, um, not realizing that Rand Paul is, in fact, a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he probably has some basic knowledge of how all this stuff. works. Well, and, and not only that, that's just pure and simple logic. I mean, if then, you know, if you are immune, then you don't need a mask. Oh, no, no. So if you are immune, you do need a mask. Why? And if you're wearing one it, then and you know you don't need it, then it is performative. I mean, that, yeah, that... exactly. It's certainly not. It, it, it's certainly not a prophylactic. It is, you know, you're you're uh, it's theater. Exactly. As uh, uh, Rand Paul said. And that's what uh, that's what a lot of this is now. You know, and every week, like this week, I think it was. Oh yeah, kids can now sit three feet apart. Yes, that's Whoa. right. Three feet happened? apart. How can that be? Um, yeah, because <laughs> that was then, and this is now. Things have changed, so now yeah. kids can be three feet yeah. apart. You can be three feet apart, but the teachers still aren't going to go to school. But you can be three feet apart now. Yeah. You know, I, I I do I do part time ushering at an arena, uh, about a ten thousand seat arena, and about the only thing we did this year were, were some graduations, and I, I was it was hilarious. So so the people would come in, and we've got chair, we've got the the seats taped off, so we've got this ten thousand seat arena seating maybe two thousand, okay, and and they had to be escorted to the seats and all this good stuff, and it took a great while. And so down on the floor of the arena. We had the seats all set out, social distancing for the for the kids graduating. <laughs> they come out on the floor, they walk to their seats, and they all start hugging each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this whole thing, to me, has been theater. Well, I, you know, I, I I have a more complex view than it just being theater, although they're. Certainly is much been, much of it's been theater. There, there's certainly been a performative element. I'll, I'll certainly agree there. I think part of the problem has been, and Dr. Fauci is as guilty of this as anybody else. Certainly, um, since we didn't know really what was going to happen with this thing, and all of the experts were kind of learning along with the rest of us, there was this insistence that things were going to be much worse than it actually turned out to be, um, that we had to exercise just this excessive amount of caution. 
And for the most part, and and I understand that there were you know some bad spots here and there in the country, and hospitals at least for a little while were under some some pressure for beds and whatnot. But at the end of the day, looking back on it, it seems like there was a lot of chicken littleism among all the experts. I agree with you. And I think that they overstated the potential disaster a little too much. I think they went a little too much for scare tactics. And the the problem with doing that is, even if you think it's necessary to avert the worst, when people look back on that after the fact, it makes you look as if, A, you didn't know what you were talking about, or B, you were just lying about stuff to um, exercise greater control, um, none of which sits well with a lot of people um, who would have preferred a more measured and more fact-based rather than fear-based response. And, well, and, and as a result, and, and people could... like Fauci have, have, have basically squandered a lot of the credibility that people were perfectly willing to extend to them uh, because all of the horrible things that they said would happen largely did not happen. Well, and, and the other interesting part of that is not only did, you know, the states uh, took it upon, some of the states took it upon themselves not to implement uh, much of what the experts were saying they should do. And what we found was, as we observed this, was their results were not much different, and in fact, sometimes even better than those that clamped down everything and did what exactly what the uh, the scaremonger said to do. And yeah. so that even further eroded uh, the credibility of these people. Yeah, because if you look at, just to use two states right off the top of my head at random, for example, um, the fatality rate in Florida uh, is about 1.56 per million. The fatality rate in California is about 1.4 four, seven-ish or something uh, statistically indistinguishable from Florida. And yet California had the draconian lockdowns. And so now we can actually see the difference between states that locked down and states that didn't. And one of the things we don't see is a a huge difference in outcomes. Yep. And not only that, Florida has a lot, probably has a higher uh, percentage of the demographic, demographic that is most at risk than California does. And so that makes it even, you know, to be that close makes it look like Florida did a better job than California. It certainly did a better job than New York, who also had draconian lockdowns. Yeah, including locking old people in old folks' homes. Yeah, and Florida's basically been open the whole time. You know, after the two weeks to flatten the curve, DeSantis says, okay, beaches are open. You know, the, the the trouble with being an expert is that people expect you to be right. Yeah, it kind of helps. <laughs> and if you're not, then you, you can't go back six months after six months or a year of being wrong. You can't go back and say, but you got to trust me this time. Um, yeah. You know, the thing that Fauci's talking about now are variants. Well, there's all these COVID variants that could just be devastating. Well, but we don't know, do we? And and Rand Paul asked him that. Okay, how many fatality has there been a single fatality case from a variant in the United States? Well, no, but they're out there. Well, okay, there you go. <laughs> so are werewolves, you know. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> we might we might as be afraid of we might as well be afraid of vampires. Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't seen roll. them, but boy, people are saying they're out there. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, the the death of expertise, and I'm not so sure I'm 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 that upset by it because we've been led astray so many times by the extra experts that it's it's not even funny. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you, you complain all you want, Tom Nichols, about the death of expertise, but if the experts are not right a, a substantial percentage of the time, it, it is not unwise to question their the level of their expertise. Um, yeah. And by the way, credentialism and expertise are two entirely different things. Yeah, exactly. And uh, although they're one and the same as far as the media is concerned. Yeah, well, he has an advanced degree. He must know what he's talking yeah, about. He must not yet, and so we'll just we'll quote him at length. And it's the next election. How by, do I get through this? By the way, I, I appear to have inadvertently muted our conversation somehow. Don't oh, know how yeah. that happened. I must have just clicked on something, and uh, it muted it. So sorry, sorry about that, folks. Hey. Uh, we are self-produced. Thank you. We are yes. We're doing this live. I'll do it live. Uh, we just want to say every week. And uh, sometimes live broadcasting uh, isn't the best. I think we probably only missed about you know, twenty or thirty seconds of that. So. Oh, okay. Probably nothing important. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you had something else you wanted to talk about, but. God help me for the life of me. I can't remember what it was. Well, this this week, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida decided that, hey, we ain't teaching critical race theory down here. Sorry. And and what I'm going to be interested in is to see what the Biden administration does, the, the Education Department does, uh, how hard they want to push this or, or whether they're going to let him uh, do that. I'm fine with it. I'm, I, I believe that's probably the right move. But you know, they have endorsed critical race theory uh, in schools. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Well, I mean, it, it, it's the woke way of handling racial relations now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame it all on the white guy. And That's basically so, what it is. You know, what was the, was it, was it, was it Coca-Cola that had the things in it? Try to be oh, less, yeah. try to be less white. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. Yeah. Okay. So apparently, I, I I have some. Well, here's the thing. On the one hand, it is an immutable characteristic that I can't change, but that controls my destiny. On the other hand, I have the responsibility not to let it do that. Hmm. Okay. I'm I'm not entirely sure how if it's inherent in me. Um. I'm I I have the ability to resist it. And. It is only inherent in one race. The rest of them don't have that problem. Although they can act that way, apparently. So is it a racial thing, really? Well, I think it was, uh, who is it, Sarai, uh, Sarai Rao, um, who uh, uh, had one, and I mean, two tweets within like uh, an hour of each other. Um, you know, one of which was, um, talking about how, you know, people of color 
and Asians and Hispanics are fundamentally different from white people. And then an hour later, you know, it's one of the key things about white supremacy is dividing people by race. Look, this is this is your timeline, not mine. I <laughs> yeah, I I got to tell you, the, the anti-racist stuff that we're being treated to is the most malleable uh, uh, philosophy I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, you you just kind of push words around until you get them in the order you want them to, and then push them around and put them in another order. And you're you know, even though they're they're uh, contradicting thoughts, hey, that's okay. Uh, you know, the, the, the bit about uh, white math, for instance, I would love someone to show me how in the Congo, two plus two doesn't equal four. Well, it, I mean, it, it's just this stupidity. This is a, a stick. This is a week in which Columbia University held had six graduation. Yeah, held six graduation <laughs> ceremonies for various ethnicities. So that each ethnicity could have their own uh, their own graduation ceremony, just like Dr. King dreamed. Yes, I mean it's you know, <laughs> I, I would I would hate to try to get to the moon on non-white math because it could be anything you want it to be, kind of you like your gender and anything else. Apparently, the only thing you can't be if you want to be is another race. You can be a woman if you're a man. You can, be, you know, you name it, you can be it. But you can't be another race because whiteness is whiteness. And if you're a white man, well, you're stuck with that forever. Yeah, by the way, speaking of which, uh, I just was running across on YouTube today a, a critique of Ace Ventura Pet Detective for its horrific <laughs> transphobia. Oh, for God's sake. Let's go dig it all up. <laughs> you know, sure, it was funny then, but now we recognize it as being deeply hurtful to trans people. Sometimes you just got to laugh at these people. I mean, it's just, this is what you do. You sit and look at all old movies and that, that uh, Huckleberry Finn, you know, it's the same thing. Well, this was written when? Oh, yeah, man. Look at this. This guy. 1870-something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he wasn't woke at all. Look at this. And in fact, he was, if you read the book. Yeah, that's the whole... But the, that's the whole... But the, well, see, that's the whole point of the book. Um, yeah. And, and we lose it because... Because we're offended by words. Yeah, because Mark Twain did not have our modern sensibility uh, sensibilities when it came to the language. When in fact, if you read that now with our modern sensibilities, it is very powerful instead of, you know. So yeah, it, that's what gets me, is is the power in that, that, that sort of uh, literature is being thrown out the door because we're offended by a word. That in historical context, was far more was often common, used. It was commonly used. It wasn't far more often. It was commonly used. And so that's the historic aspect of it. 
And that's what he's written into this book. And that's how it was then. And so to, to understand the history of that time, you need to read it as it was written then. That's the way the world was then. Well, you know, talking about missing the forest for the trees, I mean, it is largely an anti-racist tract written at a time yeah. when America was substantially more racist than today with government-imposed racism in much of the country. Yep, all the way up through the Jim Crow laws. Not, yeah, from, the, from that time on, uh, it, was, it was a very racist country. Uh, and, and what he does is he reflects that time. And we can learn from that. But, you know, if we're going to pitch it out because it has a word we don't agree but with or, it, or it offends us, uh, it's well, not I only we that, learn from it, it. It's not only that he reflects that time, but he also reflects the the, sensi the, the sensibility, uh, a sensibility of that time that even though it was common, it was still wrong. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing. That's the thing in, in the writings of the founders that, that you find is they personally felt slavery was wrong and and they reflect that in their writing uh were they able to get uh, were they able to get power or enough power to 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 uh at that time uh do away with slavery no they couldn't at that time uh it was a it was a um political coalition that that, that was held together with bailing wire and chewing gum and what you didn't want to do is run people off. And so as the country became more stable, and as those type things then became more important, we addressed them in a civil war, for God's sake. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, we're going to throw all that out because people said bad words. Yeah, well, we're not going to learn from that. Meanwhile, in, in modern America, segregation is a good thing. Apparently, yeah, apparently. Geez, we're going to have six graduations, and you white boys don't need to show up. You Asians, you stay over there. And Oh, yeah, uh-huh. we're going to do the end. Only the trans people in this one. Uh, you know, from the second that black soldiers got back from World War II to 1964, they did nothing but try to convince America that segregation was wrong and unfair mm. and racist. Yep. And, and and they they also had been to Europe and they saw how integration worked there. It worked fine. And they came back and immediately, uh, essentially, the uh, Black America launched the civil rights movement the second it got back from World War II. Yeah, they said we're and good enough first, to we're good enough to wear a uniform for this country. By golly, we're good enough to have the same rights as everybody else in this country has. And they and, and they won it. And now, yeah, the, two the generations later, we're just going to roll back all of those all of those changes because yeah, now first, segregation first, is necessary. Yeah, the first major victory they had was the was the integration of the military. Uh, you know, and by the way, let's go back a little bit to the Democratic hero, Woodrow Wilson, who, who segregated the civil uh, service uh, after it had been integrated. Oh, that's correct. Most people don't realize that um, the United States military had been desegregated mm -hmm. um, prior to the First World War. Um, just as most people don't realize that, who was it? The Who were the Buffalo Soldiers? The 9th and 10th? Ninth, the ninth, exactly. Uh, the ninth and tenth. Uh, guess who went and went to Cuba to fight? And, yeah, 
And by the way, we're told these are some of the best soldiers we have. Yeah, they were they were frontier soldiers. They were uh, out there on the, uh, fighting the Indian Wars, uh, and and were very highly respected. And and they were called Buffalo Soldiers by the Indians, but it was not a, a, a uh, they, they were not being derisive when they called them that. It was it was a, a name given in respect. So yeah. But Woodrow Wilson came along and decided, decided no, nope, we're going to resegregate. Uppity folk, that's right. Mm-hmm. We could have had we could have had a military that was desegregated from basically around the turn of the century, um, and we'd have had a desegregated military in World War II. Yep. But Woodrow exactly Wilson right. screwed that up. So it took Harry to do it. Harry Truman did it. Yep. 1947. You know, I find it interesting that it was not something that Franklin Delano Roosevelt ever did. Oh, no. And I wonder, I I have to wonder why. Um, Was it because he was from New York and felt he couldn't get away with it while Harry Truman was from Missouri and felt he could? I, I, I don't know. I always would have thought that that would have been something that, uh, that FDR would have done. But didn't well, yeah. I don't think FDR was uh, is uh, 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 well. I I don't think I think FDR probably reflected the uh, uh, attitudes of his time, and those weren't particularly uh, anti-racist. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, but but Harry Truman didn't. That's no Harry Harry. Well, here's the difference: Harry Truman had been in the military. That's true. He was a captain of artillery. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think that may have led him uh, down the path that he took because, well, uh, he, he, he had uh, some experience and he knew uh, that uh, black soldiers uh, fought just as hard as white soldiers did. And uh, he may have also picked up on some, uh, you know, we, we, he may have also picked up on, uh, on the fact that um, the culture was changing. Uh, you know, we talked about when gays in the military, gays in the military would be no big deal when the culture accepts gays. And that's exactly what happened. I think at that point uh, that, that he pulled the trigger on this, uh, that white, white military soldiers, you know, soldiers had had enough dealings with blacks soldiers during war, even though they were in, in segregated units to uh to, there wasn't that big a deal anymore. It wasn't quite the deal it was before. Yeah, well, it's it's. I'll, I'll just put it this way and leave it. It's interesting that it's the progressives that are returning us to. I know the past. They're progressive. That, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, look, Bruce. I know you uh, got to run, and uh, yeah, I do. I will. Uh, take this opportunity to have a, a dinner at a normal hour too so <laughs> have a good night buddy and a good weekend we'll talk to you next week yep take care all right you've been listening to observations q a podcast for friday the 19th of march 2021 thanks for listening on behalf of bruce mcquain this is del franks saying that we appreciate your consistent patronage and we hope you'll be back with us again next time until then have a great week everybody so long so long